You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello there, I'm Stuart Goldsmith and this is a completely free copy of my stand-up show, Compared to What? I'm going on tour in the UK and Ireland for the next few months with a completely different stand-up show called Like I Mean It, so I thought I'd celebrate by giving this one away to everybody who wants a copy. If you'd like to say thank you, here are some suggestions. Level 1. Post on social media that you enjoyed it and include the address comedianscomedian.com forward slash tour. Level 2. Do that, but accompany your post with something eye-catching and homemade, like a picture of my face photoshopped onto the body of a, I don't know, a bee or something, or a, or a skeletal horse, or just the word Photoshop. My face photoshopped onto big letters saying Photoshop. That'll fox them. Level three. Go to comedianscomedian.bandcamp.com and buy the Smarty Pants edition of this stand-up show, with individual track listings and liner notes, for £5 or whatever you think is appropriate. Level four. All of the above. Purchase, B-Face, social media shout-out, massive glow of having done the right thing. God, you're amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Stuart Goldsmith. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome, uh, welcome, people of Bedminster or Southville, depending on whether you're trying to buy or sell your property. <laughs> Very lovely to be here. I hope you've all... That really hit home, didn't it? <laughs> it dep- I would imagine there's a bit of a split in the room between proud, fierce local people and people who can no longer afford to live in London and... <laughs> Yeah, and a lovely little pause there as if they went, I mean, we'll reveal ourselves if we laugh. (laughs) It's just that you can get a Sunday roast here for only £13. It's incredible. (laughs) It'll be 16 by Christmas and you'll like it. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I realised there was a bit... It's taken a while to load everyone in because we're sold out. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, one clap for that. That was good. That's always a lovely noise to hear. Is one person trying to start a round of applause and then giving up. That's always going to go, No, that's fine. It's average. It's average. So, welcome. Welcome. Uh, I'm trying to be less self-involved. And I'm going to tell you all about that in detail for the best part of an hour, if you can believe that. Um, I think everyone is really obsessed with themselves these days. I was on a train recently, the quiet carriage on a train. And there was a guy talking on his mobile phone in direct contravention of the rules of the quiet carriage. And he was properly all self. It was all about him. He was like, I said this, I said to her, you know me. And I thought, we do now. We'll probably get your PIN number in a minute. This is good. (laughs) You know, every so often you'll come across someone and think to yourself, you should probably believe in yourself a bit less. One of them. (laughs) 
and everyone else on the quiet carriage, of course, we didn't know where to look. This is Britain. We became a community of cringe. We all started silently amongst ourselves trying to nominate a leader to say something <laughs> to the dreadful man. Just with our eyes and our eyebrows, we would all of us pick one of us and look at them as if to go, maybe you... <laughs> And that person would look back like, not I. And then try and nominate the next person. Perhaps he. It was pathetic. Eventually, their imploring faces became too much. And I thought, come on, Goldsmith. You can do this. Say something. So I leant in. I tried to be nice about it. I said, excuse me, mate. No disrespect. Which was a lie. <laughs> the sentence, no disrespect, has never been followed by anything containing any respect whatsoever. <laughs> It's not dissimilar to when people go, I'm not being racist, but you can tell. <laughs> I tried to be nice. I leant in. I said, excuse me, mate, no disrespect. This is actually the quiet carriage. And something terrible happened. He looked up from his phone and he went, no, it isn't. And he was right. <laughs> so, just a terrible start to the week. Oh, I've made two key errors there, haven't I? That's the problem. Two main mistakes I've made there. The first, I spoke to a human without having been introduced to them. This was last year, 2016. We don't do that sort of thing now that we're living in the future. What I should have done is what any one of you would have done. I should have angrily filmed him on my mobile phone, secretly, <laughs> and then gone home and uploaded the footage to YouTube with no context and the headline, Train Wanker, and just... <laughs> Let everyone online bully him and sort him out. That's how it's done. And when I did that, I should have filmed him and had the foresight to put a chair in the foreground. That's how it's done these days. If you've ever seen anyone be racist on a tram in Manchester on YouTube, there's always a chair in the foreground. <laughs> as if the person is thinking, this is awful and I hope someone says something, but I see my role very much as reportage. I'll just... <laughs> and more to the point... If it wasn't the quiet carriage, then what was all this eye contact? That can have been happening only in my head. Everyone else in the carriage must have been looking at me with no more than casual, all right, mate, eye contact. And for some reason, I interpreted that as, save us, Beowulf. <laughs> I think everybody is a very different person on the outside, aren't we? We've all got a secret internal self, and we've got a version of ourself that we project to the world. Obviously, you'd have to do that or you'd go mad. You only need to look as far as a biker, like a proper hardcore motorcycle legend, clad in leather, facial tattoo, big billowing beard, caning it down the motorway at 90 miles an hour on his Harley. No matter how tough he looks, we know, don't we, that in his head he's thinking, wee! He'd <laughs> <laughs> have to be! Why else would you put up with the danger of riding a motorbike if you didn't bloody love it like a toddler? <laughs> And it is, I can see some of you frowning, it, it is dangerous. If you invented the motorbike today, you would not get it made legal. If you went to the DVLA and said, right, what it is, new invention, it's like a car, except it only has two wheels, and you go on the outside. <laughs> bit, bit dangerous, isn't it? No, 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 it's fine, because you go twice as fast as everyone else. It's only so... <laughs> well, presumably on a special track. No, 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 you just fuck about in and out of traffic. <laughs> just freestyle, do what you want. You know, I don't think motorcyclists... I don't think motorcyclists realise the extent to which everyone else on the road is desperately trying to keep them alive. When I see one in my rearview mirror, I don't think, cool guy. I'm too busy thinking, I'm not going to prison for you! 
as a result, some of them have got quite sneaky about road safety, which I do appreciate. I think it's cunning. I wish I'd, uh, I wish I'd come up with this myself. Your average motorcyclist will very often try to dress up a little bit like the police, right? <laughs> they can't impersonate the police, can they? That would be illegal. But they can put, like, a, they can have a white helmet with blue and white checks on it, just enough that an approaching driver goes, I'm going to fuck him off the road. Oh, no, maybe not. Maybe it's a car right out <laughs> Sensible idea. Some of them will go as far as to wear a neon jacket with big block capital letters across the back saying polite. You seen that? <laughs> like you're going to go, right, I'm going to take him out. Oh no, he seems nice. That's fine. <laughs> now, I think that's sneaky. I admire it. But every time I see that, and obviously I don't want anyone to be involved in any sort of an accident. Every time I see one of those, I cannot help but fantasise about arriving at the scene of a motorbike pile-up, driving a van that looks like an ambulance. <laughs> I'm sorry, look, I'm sorry, I'm a parrot medic. I'm a paramedic. <laughs> I only do exotic birds. If you've broken your wing, I could fix your wing. No, I'm sorry, that's all I can do. Have some seed, have some seed, sorry. <laughs> I think that the, uh, the fantasy in which I most commonly indulge, and I'm not proud of this at all, but if I'm being brutally honest, this is what's going on perpetually behind my eyes all of the time, is I secretly consider myself the hero of the movie of my life, right? <laughs> now, I know that sounds dodgy, but there will be other closet narcissists among you who, like me, when you were ten years old, suddenly sat bolt upright and went, <gasps> what if everyone else in the world is a realistic human? Except me. We don't know right now whether the rest of you are thinking, Jesus, that's psychotic, or whether you're all thinking, activate, destroy them. We don't know. <laughs> Maybe this will resonate with more of you. Have you ever been round the house on your own and you do something accidentally cool? A one in a million shot. You ball up some paper, you see the bin, you throw it over the back, over your shoulder, whoop, it actually goes in. At that point, did you ever look to camera? <laughs> you did, you bloody did! As if that's the moment in the opening credits of the movie of me where it says my name. <laughs> and Stuart Goldsmith. Yes! But of course, that's not, there's no way to tell, is there? If there's, you know, if, if it's the opening credits of the movie of your life, who says you're even the hero? You're probably just the sort of and also with, or, you know, the funny friend or something. You, you don't get to do it when you do something cool. It's probably when you're eating Twiglets. <laughs> <laughs> or resetting your digital watch and missing the hour and have to chase it all the way around the trunk. <laughs> pathetic. I think there is only one reasonably selfless thing, slightly slightly heroic thing I've ever done in my life. And I, I've got to tell you, everything I'm going to tell you tonight is true. All of it's true, apart from there is one moment in about 25, 30 minutes where I, I'm being very honest about my true feelings and there is a risk I, I become a slightly unsympathetic character. So at that moment, I've made up a bit where I save a kitten's life. <laughs> Just to get you back on side, right? So, so look out for that. I think... The only remotely selfless thing I've ever done in my life is I've recently had to make a big sacrifice for love. For love. And I'm bloody resenting it. Now, I know that's not how sacrifice is supposed to work, is it? Titanic doesn't end with Jack going, go on, Rose, you get on the raft. Oh, thanks, mate, you'll just die. Yeah, I know, that was a stupid fucking idea. It doesn't... <laughs> 
But there must be some element of that. I'll explain the territory. For the last six years, me and my partner have been living 110 miles apart, right? I have been in the city, and she... Yeah, she. <laughs> I know, I know. I look like I've dabbled. That's fine. <laughs> Obviously, I have dabbled. 2000 to 2009, tactical bisexual. I cannot recommend that enough. <laughs> Genuinely, if you know any young guys, college-age guys who are worried about trying to talk to girls, just give them that top tip. Walk around the place telling everyone you think you might be gay. The results are unbelievable. <laughs> if, if I'm totally honest, three or four unbelievable results later, you will find that people talk to each other and you may be required to, pardon the expression, put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> Point, most guys will bail out. Not this hero. <laughs> Long time ago. So for the last for the last six years, we've been living 110 miles apart, right? I have been in the city and she has been in the countryside. Both of us knowing for the whole of our relationship that one of us is eventually going to have to give up the way we see our friends, the way we do our work, the way we live our lives, give up our home and move to be with our partner. And what it boiled down to after six long years was that eventually I wanted her to be happy more than she wanted to grow up and move somewhere with culture, infrastructure, public transport, <laughs> ambition and sushi. <laughs> and don't get me wrong, she's ambitious, but her ambition is to be happy. Huh? I don't get it! I don't understand. I love the city. I love all of the things about the city that everyone else hates. I love it when people are rude to me, when they barge me out of the way. I need to feel like I'm the smallest possible fish in the biggest possible pond, so I feel like I'm striving. It's like the city is a sergeant major, and he's bullying me to make me a better soldier. And I hate him, but by Christ, I respect him. <laughs> and one day I'll come and wheel him proudly around the parade ground before just ooh, tipping him into the latrines. <laughs> I love it. The simplest thing. Like, you know, every so often you'll treat yourself to a, a posh meal out in a fancy restaurant and you order a meal that isn't wine. I love the way the waiter takes away the wine glasses. I love that. Looks like you won't be needing these. <laughs> oh, we, we might order some wine later. Oh, you had your chance. Smash. <laughs> I love it. I genuinely get a thrill out of that. I love all the moments in city life where you butt up against other people, all the intersections. I love a pedestrian crossing where you know that the car is obliged to stop and the car knows it too and he bloody hates it. And so, and so you arrive in quite a lordly kind of manner. Like, well, I might do a couple of stretches, actually. No, no, that's fine. I love the way the car will try and flick you across the road. They'll be like... I will not be flicked across. Off, perhaps, not across. <laughs> so I respond with the only weapon in my arsenal. I waste their time, right? They go, <laughs> I go, oh, no, after you. Come on, mate, go fuck about. No, 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 I'm not fucking about. I am fucking about. I'm fucking about for a very long time. <laughs> no, no, no. And then as soon as they give it some revs, they go, hmm. That's when I go, oh, -hoo. that's great. <laughs> You can keep them there all day. It's fantastic. One of my... Oh, sorry, when I say a car, I mean specifically a Range Rover. And more specifically, <laughs> obviously, the Range Rover Evoke. Are you familiar with that one? The squashed, the angry tank version of a Range Rover. Like, how can we make this vehicle more aggressive? Let's hammer the fucker flat. Like, it's as if someone's walked into a car dealership and said, uh, yeah, what I'm looking for is something that combines ostentatious wealth with arrogance and protects my children at the expense of yours. Oh, right, this way, so... <laughs> 
horrible, horrible murder machines. I want one so much. <laughs> one of my favourites is when you're in a, in a city and you walk past a school at chucking out time and loads of overconfident teenagers spill out onto the street. Early teenagers, like 13, 14 years old, and you can tell they've got too much confidence. You know, they're on your side of the street and you're thinking, oh, God, if I, if I try and walk through them, they'll interfere with me. But if I, if I cross the road, they'll know I'm weak. <laughs> and you can tell they've realised, they're at that age, they've twigged that authority's meaningless. Discipline's an illusion. No one can touch them. I don't want to touch them. I should stress. <laughs> but you can tell they're like, oh, God, they've got so much confidence. They've adapted their school uniform. I never did that when I was at school. <laughs> that one's the ringleader. Look, he's made his tie all little. <laughs> I've got a move for this situation. I've never tried this. Please, someone give it a go and get back to me. Let me know if it works. I think what you have to do is stay on your side of the street. You walk towards them proudly with your head held high. And as you approach, you get the first attack in. You loudly exclaim, Get away from me, you pedo! (laughs) And in the confusion, you make good your escape. probably my single favourite thing about the city is when you are crushed into any kind of public transport like a train, a commuter train in the morning and everyone's rammed in like human Tetris. Someone's nutsack is on your shoulder. Like, Jesus! Is he doing a handstand? How's that even possible? Someone else is breathing right in your face. You're like, can't he tell I have to be twisted like this so that I can watch American Sniper on this child's iPad? (laughs) This happened to me recently. I'm watching the movie. This kid's got his earphones in, this awful film, and I'm sort of staring at it, going, that's good, sort of pretending that I'm not. Across the way from me, there's a businessman in his 50s. He's also secretly looking at it. (laughs) Sat opposite is a little old lady looking at the reflection in the window, all of us pretending we're not. Suddenly, there's an explosion on the screen, and we all reacted. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm I'm just not calibrated for the countryside. I'm used to buses... With three digits. <laughs> the 176. The 284. What a limitless world of possibility. <laughs> what have you got in the countryside? Well, there's the two. <laughs> oh, really? Where does that go? The shop and back. <laughs> Any others? There's the one. <laughs> Where does that go? Just the shop. <laughs> got to change the whole way I move, the way I walk, the way I drive. When I'm in my car in the countryside, you're not going to believe this, they slow down at amber lights. I keep nearly going into the back of people. As far as I'm concerned, correct me if I'm incorrect, but as far as I know, an amber light means believe in yourself. It? <laughs> it means, come on, Godsmith, you can do it and you can bloody do it legally. Head down, foot down, come on. Orange, 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 orange. Yes, red, yes! And in the city, you look in your rear-view mirror and eight cars follow you through. (laughs) How are you alive? (laughs) If you've ever lived in the city, any city, you'll know whenever you made it back home alive, you won. You beat the city, right? You made it back to your house, your house, your flat. So so called because you can't afford depth or volume. There we are, we have to live on an XY axis in our flat. We can't afford topography. You can come round and draw circles around yourself, pretend you've got contours. There we are, that's lovely. Thank you, Bristol. No one ever laughs at that, and I keep it in for me. I keep it in for me, and you haven't disappointed me. 
You make it back in one piece and you beat the city. Yes, I did it. The city tried to, to grind me between its gears. It tried to shove me under a bus. It tried to chop me up and snort me off a mirror. It tried to jam a free paper in my hand I didn't want and refuse me access to somewhere on the basis of my shoes. But I survived. I beat you, city. And what happens in the countryside? About 11 o'clock in the morning, you potter down to the shop to get some milk. And on your way back from the shop, Roy from the garage asks if you've got time for a poem. <laughs> and you realise you have. <laughs> when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's not forever, she says to me. This isn't the poem, by the way, this is, um, <laughs> this is her telling me it's not forever. She says, it's not forever, we're just trying it, right? We're just trying it, you know, we'll, we'll try it where I live. If it doesn't work out, we'll try it where you live. Now, you might be forgiven at this point for thinking, come on, Stu, if you love the city so much, why on earth did you let her convince you to leave? And the reasons are twofold. The first is we got engaged, so I moved for love. We got engaged last year, you're too kind. And, um, <laughs> There's something about time and celebrations, isn't there? Like, if I said we got engaged last week, you'd be like, hey, we got engaged last year. Well, live your life. <laughs> we got engaged. It was very romantic. We got engaged in San Francisco in a place called the Castro. It was brilliant. We stayed in an Airbnb. Now, I'm sure many of you will have done that. If you've never stayed in an Airbnb, you've got to get involved with this. It's so great. When you go on your city break, which is like a holiday, but for wankers, you... Um, <laughs> It's like the tapas of the holiday experience, isn't it? It's like, you pay more, you get less, but you feel five times as smug. So, when you're on your city break, rather than pay over the odds for a posh hotel, what you can do instead is get on this website, airbnb.com, and it will hook you up with a stranger who trusts you with their home. Right? And then you betray that trust. <laughs> I cannot tell you how much fun it is. You can't believe it. The first time you do it, you get the keys, you get in, they leave. You're just in their house. You can do what you want. You can wear their clothes. You're not allowed. They can't stop you. You can put on Alfredo's gym jams and his bathrobe and start meandering around the house, getting into character. <laughs> Who is this Alfredo guy? How does he walk? How does he dance? Where does Alfredo make love on every surface of the kitchen? Of course, dirty Alfredo. <laughs> 
jackpot. Every so often, you'll be rifling through their chest of drawers, you'll find one that's padlocked shut. You can often just unscrew the whole back of the thing. Brilliant. <laughs> Dream scenario. You book it for a week, you get there on the Monday morning, take pictures of the inside. By lunchtime, you've uploaded it to Airbnb, sublet the fucker. You dress as Alfredo, hide in the attic, drilling holes and spying. <laughs> You've done it again, naughty Alfredo. <laughs> you get caught, he goes to prison. It's win-win. Now, if you're nervous about trying that... <laughs> my advice to you is when you get home tonight, get on the website, put in your own home address. You can find a nice local one that's non-threatening to give it your first go. Could be very local, could be on your street. Could be a neighbour. You might know them. You've got to turn up on Friday night and go... Hello? Yeah, yeah, it's us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We live in your house now. Piss off. <laughs> We're going to spend the weekend judging the shit out of you. This is... <laughs> you can do exactly that over brunch on Sunday. Oh, look at Jeanette's vase. What a cunt. <laughs> so... I, don't, I don't normally... Like, I don't like to use that word on stage. It doesn't appear in the rest of the show. It's just that it slipped out during an early preview and a little old lady in the front row went... <laughs> I thought I was staying in. <laughs> So we stayed in the Castro. Now, the Castro is the gay district of San Francisco. Uh, it's their equivalent of Soho or whatever. And uh, I chose there to propose because I know that the gay district of San Francisco espouses the values of love, tolerance, peace, respect and freedom that she really digs. I do too, but I don't bang on about it like she does. <laughs> Genuinely, all of her friends are gay men. It's borderline patronising. So... <laughs> If I'm honest, I think that's why she fancied... No, I mean, I think she fancied me anyway. <laughs> Possibly the dabbling sealed the deal. Now, that's where I've chosen to propose, but I'm bricking it, right? I'm really tense. Because these days, the bar has been raised impossibly high for proposing to someone for any kind of engagement proposal. Thanks to YouTube, you can't just say, will you marry me? Now you've got to organise some sort of flash mob where her entire family get together and beat her own school bully to death. <laughs> Otherwise, you don't really love her. It's pathetic. So I was tense. The other question for me is, do I do it in a funny way or a serious way? Because humour's the bedrock of our relationship, really. But, uh, you know, a joke has got to have a victim and there's only going to be two of us there. <laughs> potentially tricky if it doesn't work. Also, she's funnier than me and that's painful. She's, honestly, it's not even her profession. I don't know if you can imagine what it's like to be the second funniest in a one-comedian household. <laughs> bittersweet and she's not just she's not just quick she's really like observationally funny i didn't realize how much of a ditherer i am until she started whenever we went out for a meal if i was like panicking going oh god chips or mash she started leaning forwards and going don't fuck it up it's just funny <laughs> so i've made my decision i'm going to do it seriously i'm going to do it calmly soberly we come out of a, uh, a human rights resources center that's on the the base of the former castro cameras where Harvey Milk was, uh, had his base of operations, if you know about Harvey Milk. We walked out of there. She said, I'm hungry, let's get some food. I said, let's get some food in a minute. She said, why are you crying? <laughs> I got down on one knee. <laughs> I remember it very well. I, 
I said, will you marry me? She said, yes. We hugged, we kissed, and at that moment, an entirely naked man walked past, <laughs> wearing... I say naked, he was hugely muscular and waxed and oiled, and he had golden trainers and a golden sock over his junk, right? Which sounds preposterous, but it was elasticated, so the whole effect was very neat. And he was... <laughs> He was sort of sashaying along. He was walking a dog, but he was dragging the dog and being walked by the sock. Like, have you ever, <laughs> have you ever seen anyone divining for water? <laughs> it's like he was trying to sniff out the other one in the pair. <laughs> I saw him. I saw that she'd seen him. I thought, come on, Goldsmith, she's going to remember this moment forever. Say something funny. She says, I presume this is the ring. I wish I thought of that. <laughs> Always the biggest laugh in the show. Bitch. <laughs> Weirdly, her friend Caroline, and this is true, about six months later, she also got engaged in San Francisco, in the Castro, a couple of blocks away, uh, same, same district, in the background of the picture that they put on Facebook, saying, well, we got engaged, between their necks. Golden cocksock guy. Who is this guy? <laughs> I have a couple of theories. Either he is kept in reserve as an emergency measure in case a scout on a nearby rooftop goes, whoa, 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 that's a man proposing to a woman that is too heterosexual. Launch Rocco. <laughs> we must restore balance. <laughs> or, potentially, he's like a, a contemporary reimagining of the god Cupid. And instead, now when you fall in love, instead of like a little cherub with curly blonde locks and a, and a bow and arrow, now you've got a muscle Mary with a golden sock that runs up and goes, you're in love, boink, and runs up. <laughs> So that was half the reason. That was half the reason I agreed to move. The other half, she very cunningly had a tactical baby. Checkmate. Um, I love him. I love him. And, of course, he was planned. He was planned. We got pregnant halfway through the sentence. Shall we start trying... All right. Um, and you'd, you'd love him. He's gorgeous. He's like... I love him. He's like a little poached egg. Although not, not in a way I can ever articulate to anyone. But if you met him, like friends have seen the show and then met him and then gone, oh, he is like a poached egg. Yeah, thank you. That's all. <laughs> he's got, like, a head and arms in it. He's normal. You know, he's not... <laughs> hey, then that was kind of a relief. You know you're not allowed to drink while you're pregnant. <laughs> Do you not know that? <laughs> <laughs> I've got to make some calls. No, you... <laughs> You mustn't drink while you're pregnant, but we also know you can be a tiny bit pregnant without knowing, and during that time, if you have a, an accidental G&T, they can't touch you, right? <laughs> it's not your fault. It's a classic loophole situation. Now, I only mention that because we discovered she was a tiny bit pregnant when we'd just come back from a trip to Amsterdam. Hmm. <laughs> Where we had both ingested a tiny little bit of some perfectly legal magic mushrooms. And we got back to the UK, and there is surprisingly little information available on, on NHS Direct <laughs> as to what was going to happen next. We wouldn't have been disappointed if we got a wizard. <laughs> if a little Dutch Gandalf had popped out and gone, ha ha, fly you fools! <laughs> that would have been quite good, I think. I'd... I don't know for sure. I presume that's how you, how you get wizards. Magic mushrooms, you get a wizard. Ketamine, centaur. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> now, what happens? Many of you will know. What happens? The instant you have a child, you suddenly become... Uh, your life suddenly becomes a riddle. 
right? Specifically, the riddle of the fox, the chicken, and the bag of grain. Now, some of you will know this. It's a classic resource management lateral thinking puzzle, right? You're on one side of a river. You've got a fox, a chicken, and a bag of grain, which you have to get to the other side of the river. But your boat will only let you and one other thing at the time, right? So what do you do? If you leave the fox with the chicken, the fox is going to eat the chicken, right? If you leave the chicken with the grain, the chicken will eat the grain. I'm hazy on the details, but presumably there's some scissors, paper, stone way in which the grain can eat the fox. <laughs> or kill it some... Like, it's... Like, like he's, a, he's allergic to... He's gluten intolerant, right? Your fox... <laughs> He's gluten intolerant, but addicted. He's addicted to grain, so he can't. If you leave him, he'll be like, no, jonesing for grain. So, so that's the situation. You've got to get all three things to the other side. Now, the solution escapes me. I've got no idea. I don't know how it's done, but that's what it's like being a parent. All of a sudden, you've got your career, the baby, and your hopes and dreams. And... <laughs> Only one thing is going to go in the boat, right? But if you put your career in the boat, then the baby is going to eat your hopes and dreams. <laughs> so all I've got so far, the kind of the blueprint, is if I put the baby in the boat first, right, and kind of cast him off, <laughs> and then get the career and the hopes and dreams, and then just sort of wander away. That's <laughs> He's got a boat. It'll be fine. <laughs> now, I appreciate you listening to me talking about my baby. Obviously, you don't care about my baby. I know that. No one cares about anyone else's baby. I didn't care when my friends started having babies. I was like, oh, good. Bye. <laughs> what do you mean? We can still hang out. Yeah, sure. They're fucking dead. They might as well... They might as well be dead. They never answer their phone. They never get back to their emails. They're off the radar. They're off the radar. They're off... <laughs> They're off the radar, They're off. they might as well be dead. And then, and it happens in like a domino rally as well, doesn't it? Like Pete and Hazel, dead. Jenny and Duncan, dead. Oh, she died on her own, that was brave. Dead, 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 dead. <laughs> and then you and your partner, you have a baby, and you pass through the veil together. Oh my God, we're dead. <laughs> Who are these figures? You awake in this, this foggy, misty hall with great clouds of pseudocrem scudding by. <laughs> who, who are these figures emerging from the mist? Oh, it's everyone you know who had a baby. Please, hang out with us. We've been here the whole time. <laughs> we tried to communicate with you, but we couldn't penetrate the veil. We tried pushing a penny up the wall, but no-one got the reference. Please. <laughs> Come on, hang out with us. Let's have dead person fun in boring heaven. Uh, oh, what, what, what's on offer? Well, you could come round for a drink during the day. You think, oh, good. What have you got? Can I get you a fruit tea? <sighs> Anything stronger? We could leave the bag in. <sighs> so all you do in boring heaven every morning... All I do is I, I sit at six o'clock in the morning and I stir porridge. <laughs> stir the porridge. Keep the family alive. <laughs> stare out the window. Try to forget your old life. Stir the porridge. Keep the family alive. It's the most boring food there is, porridge, isn't it? Just... Should we put some honey in it? No, keep it boring. Keep it boring. <laughs> It'll help you forget. Stir the porridge. <laughs> 
Listen to BBC Six Music while a former rock star with an audible flat cap condescends to you. And it's quite clear from his tone of voice that he's mortgage-free. <laughs> Stir it away. Stir it away. I had a threesome once. Stir it away. Stir it away. <laughs> And there are angels, of course, in Boring Heaven. An angel is any parent who has grown-up children. And they flutter in on their angelic wings and patronise you. Yes, don't worry, the first 18 years are the hardest. Bye! <laughs> and they give you stuff as well. Bless them, bless them. They give you things that you need. And, uh, and the way they do it is very clever. They, they give you a thing that you want and they bundle it with a load of shit they don't want in their loft anymore. <laughs> so they, this is an ear thermometer like Ben had. It's a really good one. Those nine mattresses aren't going to go back in the car. But, uh, and thank God they do, because the economics of having a baby, as I'm sure you can imagine, are absolutely knackered, right? I have to keep him alive with this. <laughs> He's going to die. He's, he's not going to die, but he's not going to go to private school. I tell you that much. But that's fine with us. That's fine with us. We just want him to be happy. doesn't matter to us. Lots of, lots of parents have got big ambitions for their kids. They want him to be powerful or rich or successful or, God forbid, famous. We just want him to be happy. As long as he's gay and he works for Pixar, that's fine. Anything you want. Absolutely So what we do now is we sit... We sit watching eBay like a hawk, desperately trying to buy tiny little baby clothes. There, there. There's a little, there's a little kind of sort of jerkin with a geometric goose design. Get that, get it, get three quid, three quid. Get it, get it, got it. Yes, put it on the kid. He, he outgrows it in a week. Put it back on eBay. Sell it, sell it, sell it. Three quid. Yes, we're raising a child for the cost of postage and packing. <laughs> and I, I find myself being weirdly jealous. Right, of his mum. Now, I've asked this up and down the country. I've never had a single uh, credible response in the affirmative. Are there any men here tonight who are a bit jealous of a woman's ability to grow a child within themselves? No, literally not. Zero. <laughs> no. No, of course. But I don't understand why not, because that's incredible. Like, I'm quite a nerdy kind of a guy. I Say again? You're a wimp. You're all weak. Fucking, that's a strong heckle. <laughs> that is like the equivalent of walking into a bar, pouring a pint over the bar and going, I'll take on any fucker in the room. Well, actually, slightly less than 50% of the fuckers in the room. <laughs> You're all weak. Yeah, man, absolutely. I, absolutely, but I'm not going to get the chance to find out. To me, and if you'll forgive me, I'm going to go back to the prepared material. Um, <laughs> is the most science fiction thing I think I've ever heard, right? That women have inside their bodies the life engine, the genesis device. That's so Star Trek, isn't it? What have you got, mate? Hover car, piss off, I can make people. That's incredible. <laughs> I think that's why... That's why women don't tend, tend to do as much DIY as men tend to do. Because why would you bother putting up a shit shelf if you can create a human to do it for you? <laughs> so it's always the bloke weeping in a pool of raw plugs going, I fucked it, I fucked it up. It's worse, it's worse now than when I started. Oh, God, I fucked it up so badly. Can you get a man, get a proper man? Please ring a proper man. No, and this is this is important. Can you ring him? Get... 
tell he's proper. Look who I'm with paint on his clothes. That's how you can, <laughs> that's how you can tell. That's how you can tell him. You ever see a bloke walking down the street with paint on his clothes? What it means is he's a proper man. What it really means is he's not that good at painting. Curious. <laughs> so I went on this DIY mission, right? I went on this... I've never been into DIY. All of a sudden, I find myself... We've got a, we've got a concrete floor in the cellar. I find myself in the hire shop hiring a concrete breaker, which is the most masculine I've ever felt in my life. This thing... It's like a vibrating space lance, right? And I'm glad, I'm glad I used that exact phrase in the hire shop, because I'm pretty sure it was that phrase that made the bloke insist I got the safety equipment, which I did need. <laughs> fair to him, I did need it. <laughs> there I am, altering the very fabric of the world. <laughs> the next weekend, my dad comes down, we, he helps me, we put in a new concrete floor. My missus was brilliant about it. She comes in, she says, yeah, that's, that's great, isn't it? Because obviously... We had a concrete floor. <laughs> and now we have a, a concrete floor. Well done. Well done, men. <laughs> By the way, you're all weak. <laughs> but she got it. She understood. I was trying to... I was trying to feather the nest. I couldn't populate the nest. I was trying to feather the nest. I might as well have walked in every morning that week with a mouthful of twigs and just gone... Kah! <laughs> Jealous of the threat. Have you heard that threat that mums can do? Dads can't do this. I heard a mum say this to a six-year-old in a park, presumably her own. She said, she said, I brought you into this world. I can take you out of it. How good is that? What I love about that is from the point of view of the kid, that sounds plausible. If you're six, you'd be like, is that the rule? Yeah, that's easy. Dads can't. There's no dad equivalent. You can't go, I financially supported your upbringing so I can have you killed. It doesn't work. The, thing, the biggest thing is that whenever she's breastfeeding, right, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying I want to be able to breastfeed, although it, it does look pretty cool to stand up for your rights in a cafe every so often. Right. But I sometimes... She's doing the magic boob sort of thing and, and, and he looks at me sometimes. If I'm looking, he rolls off the boob and the look on his face when he looks at me, he'd be on it like this. It's not to scale, obviously. <laughs> That's not really the real sound as well. I've sanitised that, because the real sound is icky. The real sound is like this. <laughs> Sounds like German techno, doesn't it? It's horrible. So... <laughs> he's, on, he's on the boot, and he'll roll off, and he'll... So I've done that instead. It's like a, like a, like a pipe. <laughs> a, a milky pond of mine. He's on the boot. And he'll look at me, he'll see me looking over at him, and he'll roll off, and the look on his face, he's like, he's going, um, mate. It's a bit weird, you looking? <laughs> he'll look up at her. You all right with this? Do you want me to say something to him? He's all right. <laughs> So the dad, the dad equivalent is I can shush him, right? I've got a good bounce, I've got a good shush, I can shush him off to sleep, that was my thing. Early months of his life, I was like, yeah, I can do this, I've got my thing. So you've got to bounce to recreate the, mo the motion uh, of the womb, that rocking, that's why we rock babies to sleep. So I've got a good bounce and I've got a good shush to recreate the noise of the womb, because we think of the womb as silent, but the womb is loud, the womb is like... Whoosh, 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 whoosh. And I know that, because I've got an app. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, an incredible memory. Now... Whoosh, 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 whoosh. 
she did say to me recently, she was like, you know, um, you know he's allowed to be awake when he's with you. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean, babe? Well, it's just every time I give you the baby, you try and make him go to sleep. <laughs> well, obviously, I've got stuff to do. <laughs> she said, yes, one of the things you have to do is spend your child's waking life with him. I'm like, oh, babe, don't get cross. Come here, come here. <laughs> Now, I never understood what instinct was. Throughout the whole of my life, from my teens, my 20s, my 30s, I never understood. I was always that person who, whenever I was with a partner, I had a girlfriend, and I'd be saying to my mates, I'd be going, oh, I need a bit of a chat. I don't know if I really love... I don't know. How I, I mean, do I know? Do I love? Is it real? Do I know? How do I know? Everyone would always say to me the same thing. They'd go, what does your gut say? Can I trust your instinct? What does your gut say? And I'd always think, oh, well, my gut would probably say... I'm hungry <laughs> and scared and I don't know if I need a poo or a wee. <laughs> I don't really see why I'm expected to be able to deal with this. <laughs> Not really my department. <laughs> why, don't we, why don't we ask the brain? He's, he's more qualified. <laughs> And then my, my brain would go, I cannot deal with this because I have overanalyzed all of the possibilities and I am frozen in this option paralysis. I don't know, Swiss, Austrian? No. I, I should, uh, my head Maltese, but I can't do the accent. I, I do not know because I have... That's gone off the road. I do not know because I've looked at all the possibilities and I cannot decide. We must ask instead the heart. And at that point, my dick would go, Guys, I've got this! <laughs> And I'd make some terrible decisions. <laughs> so when I first held him, right, she did the birth, 30 hours in labour, gas and air, did it like an absolute champion. Just at the very end, she, had, she was quite sick. She had to have anti-nausea drugs. So it was just me and him for the first 15 minutes of his life. It was just me and him, just looking at each other. I was looking at him, he wasn't looking anywhere. It's a little pink wriggling thing. Now, I know, bless you, I know the sort of audience that I am very gradually cultivating, and I know that I am not the only person in this room who lives his life on an emotional fucking roller coaster. Right? And to those of you who know who I'm talking to, thanks for leaving the house. So. <laughs> so. I have always been up and down like a yo-yo. I react immediately to any kind of stimulus, to, whether it's chemical or, or uh, it's emotional, anything. Uh, happiness, bam, bouncing off the wall, sadness, I'm weeping, I'm depressed. I, uh, sometimes when people talk about their feelings, I have to leave the room. You know, all sorts of... Um... Half a cup of coffee, I'm just off my head. Half a wine gum, I'm anyone's. I, it's a huge problem. And I had been told by all of my male friends, they said, that first time you hold your baby in your arms, it will hit you like nothing else. And me being me, I was expecting like a tidal wave of emotion. And I held him and I looked at him and I remember thinking... Oh... <laughs> Morning. Hello. 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 Can I um? Can I get you anything? Everything. I have to get you everything. Yep. Okay. Um, 
Right. And me, who'd wanted a baby my whole life, for as long as I could remember, I found myself thinking, I don't know if this is actually what I wanted. <laughs> and at that moment, that precise moment I thought that, the door of the, the room we were in was slightly ajar, and in walked this tiny little kitten. So, so lovely little, oh, lovely little, oh, lovely. Long story short, I saved his life. <laughs> so I thought, what I've got to do, I've got to relate to him, right? He's here, this is it, this is what I wanted, come on. I've got, I've got to connect with him. And I thought, what I'm going to do is I'm going to... I can, I can make him laugh. Once I can make him laugh, I'll get him. He'll get me. I'll be bonded with him. That's how I relate to the world. I've just got to make him laugh. And we ended up in this weird kind of competition between me and his mum as to who could be the first one to make him laugh. It got a bit heated. This was not a competition she was ever aware of. But I... <laughs> to do it. But in the first few months of his life, as a dad, you're just a service provider. You don't get anything back from the kid. You're just trying to keep everyone alive. You're trying to keep the place clean, keep everyone fed. You've got to walk miles to get a particular kind of bottle sterilizer because you live in the countryside now, but we're just trying. It's not forever. <laughs> you've, got to, you've got to get all of this stuff together. And, and here's, here's me desperately trying to make him laugh. And what do I get? Trust my luck. I get a baby that's basically an Easter Island stone head. Hmm. <laughs> Now, I don't want you to think for a minute that I wasn't ready to be a dad. I've spent my whole life wandering around feeling like a, a pre-dad, a dad-in-waiting. So, uh, I'll give you an example. I was... And I, I know you can always tell a dad as well. And dads know this. It's not just the, the hunch in the spine. It's not just the sick on the clothes. Their own or the child's, can't tell. It's the look in the eyes. That look in the eyes that just seems to say, Have I finished the jobs? <laughs> And dads know, the dads know you can never finish the jobs because the last two jobs on the list are dig hole, get in hole. <laughs> now, one of, the, one of the other things I've never understood is music, right? I've never got music. It feels awful to say, but I go to music festivals to do comedy shows and I come out of the comedy tent and I go, great, I'm at a music festival. And then I walk around feeling alienated, seeing people sing along, people love the music, love other stuff, and I just feel on the outside of it. Now, I know that seems sacrosanct. I know that, like, in the last couple of years, think of the icons that we've lost that have been so important to people. You know, Lemmy from Motorhead, uh, Bowie, Prince, hopefully Sting... <laughs> All of these people, such a huge deal, and I've never ever got that. So I, this is how I walk around at festivals, right? I'm standing watching this band. They're called um, Bastille, right? There's all these people watching, but some of you might know them. Young people's poppy, rocky sort of. They're, they're one of those bands where all of their songs sound like oh 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 oh. oh, oh. <laughs> you know? Don't mind it, perfectly, you know. Oh oh oh. oh. I, I remember I remember when all music years ago, all music for a while sounded like and then about ten years ago, for a good while, all music sounded like hey. And now all music So I'm watching I 
used to like... I used to like... Like, the last time I cared about music, it was like hair metal. I used to like the band Poison, right? Huge... Uh, yeah, right? There's two... Any, any band where two guitarists would rock out, like... And then they'd go back to back, and they'd go... They'd never spoon. You never saw that. <laughs> So I'm watching, I'm watching this man, oh, 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 and they were absolutely fine. <laughs> I'm stood there. This is how I walk around music festivals. I'm wearing Merrells, you know, those uh, approach shoes. It's a look that says, I'm not wearing a fleece, but I do own one. <laughs> I'm, wearing, I'm wearing those, uh, those trousers, like those kind of canvas ripstop sort of trousers that zip into shorts. Currently zipped, brimming with possibility. <laughs> I've always thought that they should have another zip that turns them into, like, speedos. And then... <laughs> and, then and then one more little zip, in case you get lucky. <laughs> I'm stood there watching, watching, wearing this stuff, an Airtex T-shirt, because it wicks away the sweat, and, yes, a fleece. Next to me is this guy I've never met. He looks my age, possibly older, but he is getting it. He's feeling it. He's loving it. He, he is coming from a very different place to me. He is wearing brogues with no socks. I'm thinking you're going to regret that. He's, he's wearing those Daisy Dukes, you know, those cut-off denim shorts, so it looks like he's, he's got the pockets dangling, so it looks like he's smuggling a concealed elephant. <laughs> there he is. Covered in tattoos, big Native American Indian headdress, you know, those feather ones. It's called uh, the war bonnet. You know, they don't sell them at festivals anymore because it's cultural appropriation. So all the, the Native American communities have got in touch and said, can you not do that? That's a really sacred object to us. And all the white people seem to have gone, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's a cool hat. Like, no, no, it's a lot. You've got to earn the feathers. Each one tells a story. It's a big deal. Please just don't wear it. And, and all the white people have gone, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's sort of in my culture to steal yours. <laughs> I'm from London. <laughs> he seemed fine. He's bouncing around, throwing himself into it. I'm watching this absolutely fine gig. And halfway through, I find myself... Just something for the first time in my life. Something I started to think, yeah, this, yeah, I, yeah, okay, okay. We don't probably half these people don't know the words. It's just we're sharing a communion, right? We're all doing the same thing. The guys on stage, they've got a nice sense of humour. They seem, you know, don't take themselves too seriously. I was like, yeah, this is this is great. Okay, yeah, I'm I'm into this. The guy next to me notices. He offers me a swig of his booze, which I accept gladly. I offered him a lip salve, which he declined. <laughs> and, and person on, get really lost in it. They play their final number, right? It's their biggest hit. It's called Pompeii. You might know it. It's, it's really, it's seriously like, oh, 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 oh. Honestly, it sounds like Teletubbies marching into battle. It's horrible. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. I recognise that one song from the radio, and I said to myself, and apparently out loud, I said, oh, this is them. And literally 800 people... Turn around like, piss off, Grandad, you ruined this. Uh. So I put on my flat cap and I wandered away. Yeah, I've started wearing a flat cap. That's a gentleman's way of saying, I give up. <laughs> I'll pop this on, I'm going to walk around here looking like a gentry, like, like a country gent. Yeah. <laughs> so now I've got to have parent fun got to have parent fun, and that's not even a phrase that should exist. On the fun scale, parent fun is six down from sexy fun and one up from church fun. <laughs> was, it, was it a birthday party, right? 50th birthday party. So a party, a pre-wake. And, um, 
And I got there late after work, after a gig, maybe 11, 11.30 at night, and the room had subdivided into two camps. Down one end, the nice parents drinking Prosecco and worrying about getting home in time for the babysitter. Down the other end, the naughty parents were sat cross-legged in a circle doing balloons full of nitrous oxide. <laughs> I suspect I don't need to tell you all about them. Uh, that's what it is. It's, it's like a legal high, right? So you inflate a balloon with laughing gas... You, you, you know, I know, I know, it's, uh, I'm coming to that. Um, but uh, trust me, mate, we've done 52 minutes, it's been good. Um, <laughs> also, that does point the finger of suspicion at you, sir, if the first thing you're like, it's illegal, I've had a chat. <laughs> it's nuts, though, because last year they flipped the law, didn't they? They changed the law. They, all of the legal highs became illegal, all of them. They, can't, they banned all legal highs, all of them, like caravanning. Can't do that anymore. <laughs> Spitting a ping-pong ball in the air and catching it in your own mouth. Can't do that. <laughs> Meeting someone at a party, forgetting their name, taking a wild guess and getting it right, punishable by a fine. That's how I do. <laughs> so, at the time, legal height, they, you inflate a balloon with nitrous oxide, you inhale it. If you manage to do it right, you, uh, you get off your tits, right? You are off your tits, giddy as anything, for 15 or 16 seconds. And then it leaves your body completely. You clamber back onto your tits. And you... <laughs> and you are capable of being responsible once more. It's the perfect drug for parents. There's something so depressing about hearing over the back of a sofa. <laughs> <laughs> oh god <laughs> so the two last things to tell you he did laugh he did laugh in the end he did he did how did he do it this wonderful, wise, sage-like little creature, he laughed for the first time in his life, in his sleep. <laughs> so nobody won. <laughs> he was just, he was in my arms, my arms, <laughs> and I was shushing him down, and his little head, he was trying to stay awake in case something good happened, I'm the same, and he, it's just, his little head kind of rolled back, and he just went, <laughs> what he can possibly have been laughing at, I have no idea. What components he can have been assembling in his head in such a way that he found them surprising yet satisfying. I've got no... He didn't know any things at that time. All he knew was boobs and fairy lights. So in my mind, he had a little dream, a little micro-dream about a line of fairy lights where each one was a little individual boob. And then just as he dropped off, they all lit up and he was like... <laughs> Yeah, that, that is good. <laughs> and I got it, you know, I got it. I saw him laugh, the moment happened. The brain, the heart, the gut, they all aligned and went, yes, we get it now. And my dick said, you guys are welcome. <laughs> and the very last thing uh, is that we got given a tree. In the, first, uh, in the first ten days of his life, some dear friends of ours gave him a tree, a little sapling cherry tree, about two and a half, three foot tall. And I went out into our garden. And yes, I will grudgingly accept, it's quite good having a garden. I'm not used to that. <laughs> and I dug a hole with a shovel I'd borrowed from the neighbours. And yeah, it's, it's all right having neighbours you can talk to and borrow stuff off. It's quite nice. I dug a hole, put the tree in the hole, and I was putting the earth back over the roots. And I was thinking to myself, maybe I don't want a... 
you know, maybe I don't, I don't want a, a city kid. You mean all overconfident and drinking baby chinos and telling me to piss off every five minutes? <laughs> maybe, it, maybe it wouldn't be so bad to have a little, a little country kid, you know, a little smudger. With, uh, I don't know, with a, a frog in his pocket and a song in his heart. You know. <laughs> a, a stone flagon of cider and a, one of those bits of hay coming out of his mouth. You know, a, um, a, uh, a, a simpleton. You know? <laughs> a happy idiot. That wouldn't be so bad. And I was thinking about that, and as I, as I watered the, the tree, I sort of finished planting, I watered it, I put the fertiliser stuff in, I sprinkled that on. It was only then that I thought, oh, that's, that's clever, isn't it? We're, um, I've just planted our baby's special tree in our garden here. It's forever, isn't it? We're not trying it anymore now. So now I'm trapped in Bristol. Yeah, when I say the countryside, it's the centre of Bristol, but as far as I'm concerned... <laughs> if you can get a £5 note out of a cash point, you're a yokel. <laughs> Thank
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 